This afternoon we will be considering Baptist Catechism questions 72 through 74. They all have to do with the Sixth Commandment. We will read Acts 16, 25 through 34. Here we have the principle that is being presented to you, illustrated uh, from Scripture. Before we go to uh, reciting the Catechism questions and reading the Scripture, I wanted to offer just a quick word of encouragement uh, to all, I think especially to our young people, to... Um, Work, work hard at coming to church prepared to listen to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God morning and evening. I, I know it can be difficult to digest a 45-minute sermon in the morning and then to take a break and then to come back and to hear another 20 minutes of teaching. But I want to encourage everyone, but especially our young people, to not, uh, oh, I don't know, just neglect the importance of this time. And here's a little illustration that came to my mind. I was thinking back to when David was a little boy. Um, he would not eat uh, much food. We actually had to set a timer for that boy when he was a little kid uh, to get him to eat his meal at meal time. You know, we'd sit down for dinner and he'd be distracted by many things. We'd have to set a timer. David, eat. Um, why is it important to eat meals on a regular schedule? Any of the kids want to tell us, why is it important to eat meals regularly? Anyone? Damon, you have any ideas about that? You raise your hand. <laughs> we don't have this problem anymore, by the way. These boys <laughs> devour food. Naomi? Oh, did you have something? Okay, sorry. <laughs> when you eat, don't you get the nourishment that you need to go about the rest of the things you have to do during the day? If you were to neglect to eat one meal after the next, physically you would grow so weak that you couldn't do anything at all. I think the same is true spiritually of us. When we come to worship on the Lord's Day and we hear the ministry of the Word, the preaching of the Word, it's like a meal for us. It's like a spiritual meal. And so we have to just focus ourselves. We have to be disciplined. Even if we don't feel like eating, spiritually speaking, we need to be disciplined to eat so that we might serve the Lord faithfully with that spiritual energy that we get from the Word of God. Does that illustration help you at all? Sometimes we just have to be disciplined to listen to the Word of God preached because we know it is good for us. But I've also found this, as we grow older and as we uh, mature in Christ, no longer do we not want to eat. We really enjoy eating spiritual food. We come to love the Word of God. Like I said, David, we do not have to set a timer for David to eat anymore. Uh, he, he loves to eat. Damon, too. That's what happens as you grow older. You, you learn to savor the food, etc., and to enjoy it and to give to thanks God, to God in it. So that's my brief encouragement to everyone and especially to our young people to just come and to focus your minds on what is being done here, to focus, to listen as carefully as you can, to get as much as you can out of the sermons that are presented on the Lord's Day so that you can be strengthened spiritually to serve the Lord all the days of your life. Now let us go to the sermon for this afternoon, Baptist Catechism 72 through 74. Question 72. What is the Sixth Commandment? It's brief. The Sixth Commandment is, Thou shall not kill. 73. What is required in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Question 74. What is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? Answer. The Sixth Commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. And I'll read from Acts 16, 50, uh, 25 through 34. And here we have a story where we see that Paul the Apostle had, a great, had great concern for the life of another human being. 
even though it would have been easier for him in some ways and even to his advantage to not care about the life of this other human being. He did care. He preserved the life of this human being, and in fact, he saw the salvation of this human being come as a result. Acts 16.25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were in prison while they were doing this, by the way. They were in prison for preaching the gospel, and they were singing and they were praying. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. What do you think that most prisoners would do if something like this happened? If all of a sudden all the doors of the prison were opened up, they would all look at each other, they would say, run! You know, this is our chance. Now, listen to God's word again. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Can I explain this for a moment? For that jailer to lose these prisoners would mean that his life would be taken from him uh, because he had failed to, failed to do his job. So he thought it would be easier for him to take his own life. This is what our catechism is teaching us to never do, by the way. But listen to what Paul said. Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So Paul and Silas got this man's attention by their act of kindness to him. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. It's a pretty amazing story here, and it does illustrate the point that is being made. The sixth commandment requires us to preserve our own life and the life of others, and to use all lawful means to do so. Our catechism says that the sixth commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. And that is indeed what the New King James translation says. The, excuse me, the, the Old King James translation says, um, that older version does translate the Sixth Commandment as found in Exodus 20, verse 13, as, Thou shalt not kill. But more modern Bible translations have preferred the word murder instead of kill. You shall not murder, is what the ESV says. And really, either term will do. Both are prone to misunderstanding and must be explained. So let me explain now. Thou shalt not kill could be taken to mean that humans should never kill anything. Animals should not be killed for food, therefore. There are some who think that way, of course, as you know. But we must uh, not take this view, uh, for animals were rightly killed for food and sacrifice in the days of Moses and long before that. Thou shalt not kill could also be taken to mean that a human must never take the life of another human under any circumstances. Can you see how the phrase, thou shalt not kill, could be taken in that way too? And this is not true either. For the rest of the law of Moses, which was written to explain and apply these Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, teaches that men may kill in certain circumstances. For example, in self-defense, in righteous war, and even as agents of the state to promote justice within society. Take Genesis 9-6, for example. 
It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So, we see here this principle of retributive justice. Those who murder are to be killed by uh, the, the authority within that particular society. Uh, this is the principle of retributive justice, and it runs throughout the law of Moses, as, and is even found in the New Testament. You can see Romans 13. So if you, rem- if you memorize the Sixth Commandment as, Thou shalt not kill, that is fine, but you must keep in mind that it does not mean that you shall never kill anything, or under any circumstances. No, you do not break the Sixth Commandment, for example, if... An intruder breaks into your home and threatens your family and you take his life. Uh, Killing is permitted under some unusual circumstances for protection and in the case of just retribution. The translation, you shall not murder, can also be misunderstood. I think it is a better translation because it does clarify that the unjust taking of human life is what is forbidden here. You shall not murder. In other words, you shall not unjustly take another human life. But the word murder may be interpreted too narrowly. Not only does the Sixth Commandment forbid murder, or perhaps we might say murder in the first or second degree, it also forbids carelessness, which leads to the death of another human being. We in our society would refer to this as murder in the third degree, or manslaughter. Uh, The Sixth Commandment also speaks to this. We're to not live in a careless way leading to the death of another human being. So premeditated murder is forbidden. Uh, Murder that comes about because of passion is forbidden. And so too are we forbidden from living in such a reckless way that it leads to the death of another human being. Our catechism is very helpful in explaining all of this. Today we will ask what is required in the Sixth Commandment. And the answer given by our catechism is this. The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. That is what is required. I'll leave it to you to reflect on question 74, which is very straightforward. It asks what is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment. It teaches the Sixth Commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of another person unjustly, or whatsoever tendeth thereunto, or whatsoever leads to the taking away of another human life unjustly. Before we consider the answer to question 73 piece by piece, I should say just a brief word about the basis for the Sixth Commandment. And I will do this by asking, why are humans permitted to kill animals for food, but forbidden from taking the life of another human without just cause? What's the difference, after all? Um, It's kind of sad, but in our day and age, this question has to be asked and answered because people seem confused about it. Uh, I should say, I do not believe that humans are permitted to kill animals indiscriminately, by way of clarification. That is to say, randomly, recklessly, and carelessly. Humans are to be good stewards of the created world, and they are not to be brutal, not even with animals. But with that said, the question remains, why do the scriptures forbid the taking of human life without just cause? And the answer should be clear to you. It is this. Man is made in God's image. There is something particularly dignified about human life. Human life is to be highly respected because the human being is the pinnacle of God's creation. The human is made in God's image. And this cannot be said of anything else in all of creation. Not even the angels are said to be made in God's image. I've already quoted Genesis 9.6, but hear it again. 
Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. It's the principle of retributive justice here. And then we find this word, for. In other words, here's the reason for it. God made man in his own image. It is because man is an image bearer of God that murder is to be punished with death. And I would like for you to think for just a moment about how perverse our society is in this regard. In our society, murderers are often permitted to die of old age, whereas the lives of millions of unborn children are snuffed out in the wombs of their mothers each and every year. Our society is very perverse in this regard, and this perversion is rooted in the fact that our society has forgotten that man is made in the image of God. If we were to remember this, that human life um, is made in the image of God, then human life would be treated with dignity at every stage. Murderers would, on the one hand, get their just reward, and the lives of the innocent would be protected. So, what is the basis for the sixth commandment? Man is made in the image of God. And what does the commandment require? All lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. What does the word lawful mean? It means that we are to preserve life so long as it does not require us to violate God's moral law. This, as you probably know, can get a little tricky and some of these difficulties are discussed in the field of ethics. Is it ever right to tell a lie to preserve life? In general, we would say no. But what about those who hid the Jews from Hitler's troops during World War II, for example? Did they do wrong when they deceived the Nazis? I, I think not. But I do pray that we will never be faced with such difficult choices. In general, the principle stands, the Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. I do appreciate that our catechism draws attention to the obligation we have to preserve our own life. So, the sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not murder. That includes yourself. That jailer who was ready to kill himself was about to do a horrible thing. He ought not to have harmed himself in obedience to this moral law. We are to not do harm to ourselves, brothers and sisters. Why? Because we are made in God's image. Not only do we have the responsibility, therefore, to preserve the lives of other image bearers, we also have the responsibility to preserve our own life. Christians should not live recklessly, therefore. And this, too, can get a little tricky when it comes to application. Just how cautious should we be? Just how cautious should we be? Isn't that an interesting question to ask? You will notice that our catechism does not provide us with a detailed application, but only with the principle. And I'm glad for that, because we need to take this general principle and apply it with wisdom. The Christian should not be reckless, and in being reckless, endanger their own life or well-being. G.I. Williamson, in his commentary of the Westminster Larger Catechism, a, a great resource, by the way, our catechism is very similar to the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, and there's crossover here. It's a helpful tool even for those who are studying the Baptist Catechism. But in his commentary on the Westminster Larger Catechism, he lists a number of uh, reckless behaviors that are, in fact, forbidden by the, fifth, or by the Sixth Commandment. 
they are interesting. Dueling? No dueling, brothers and sisters. Bullfighting? And shooting the rapids of the Niagara River in a barrel. These, he says, are clear violations of the Sixth Commandment. Uh, they make me smile a little as I consider them, but the point's well taken. There are some behaviors that are just unnecessarily reckless, and we ought not to engage in this kind of behavior. We ought to preserve our own lives. But he does admit in his catechism that attempting to cross the Atlantic in a small sailboat may not be a violation. <laughs> I think what he's saying here is that it's not always easy to tell uh, what is right and wrong in this regard. We need wisdom uh, to apply these principles. I think it is right that we are confronted with the principle that the Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life, and then in general, to leave it to each person to work out the specifics. Does this mean that we should watch what we eat? Probably. But as your pastor, I'll refrain from telling you what you can and cannot eat. You understand? Does this mean that you should exercise? Probably. But again, I'll leave that to you to work out, pun intended. Does this mean that you should avoid toxic things, putting toxic things such as perhaps some pharmaceuticals in your body as much as possible? I think so, but this too is a matter of Christian liberty. But if I heard that you were drag racing down Dominagoni Parkway, I'd rebuke you as your pastor. I would. Because I think this would be a clear violation of God's moral law. You'd be breaking civil laws, which are rooted in God's moral law, so you would deserve a rebuke for that. But also, you're disobeying God's moral law because you're living in a reckless way. You're endangering your own life and you're endangering the lives of other peoples by your behavior. Some live recklessly and deserve to be rebuked, but some also live fearfully. And perhaps this is the more, uh, th- th- perhaps this is more of an issue in our day. There's a delicate balance that we all must strike, therefore. We must not be reckless with our lives, but neither can we be driven by fear. Instead, we must live our lives to the fullest. This means we must live courageously and with wisdom to the glory of God. We cannot allow fear of sickness, fear of death, to hinder us from loving, serving, and worshiping God as He has commanded in His Word. Nor can we allow fear to hinder us from loving one another. We must live courageously and with wisdom to the glory of God. And I suppose this will always require us to assess risk and reward and to apply these principles with wisdom day by day. Not only does the Sixth Commandment require us to endeavor to preserve our own life, it also requires us to endeavor to preserve the lives of others. This means we are to seek our neighbor's good and prosperity This means we are to live careful lives. This means we are to defend the weak and vulnerable so long as we are able to do so. I suppose if we were to push this principle to the present, I suppose if we were to push this principle of the preservation of the life of others too far, we would never leave our homes. Are you following me? I I, I cannot leave my home. Some people will not leave their homes because they're fearful concerning their own health and well-being. You know, I might contract a disease or get into a car accident. And after all, the Sixth Commandment commands, you know, requires me to preserve my own life. Therefore, I'll never leave my home. That is a problem. But some might say, I might harm someone else by driving down the road. Uh, these sound like absurd things, but 
perhaps you're recognizing they're not so absurd. There's some issues that we've been faced with in our society in the not too distant past. So we must not push these principles too far um, because if we do, we will then fail to do the other things that God has required us to do as His people. Uh, For example, we are to assemble together for worship on the Lord's Day. And we should not allow fear of some harm befalling us or fear of doing harm to some other person to, in an unreasonable way, hinder us uh, from, from doing so. Again, Yes, we might get into a car accident and be killed or kill another. As you know, many in our day are concerned about the spread of diseases, and some are very concerned about the warming of the planet, etc., etc., and they reason this way, because of all of these perceived dangers, we must isolate, you know. We must go nowhere. Um, Brothers and sisters, I hope you can see that as true as it is, that we have a moral obligation to preserve our own life and the lives of others, This principle, if pushed too far, can be misused by individuals and even it can be misused by those with civil authority to take away freedoms. In fact, this truth can be misapplied and used as a weapon against God's people to keep them from doing what God has called them to do, namely, assemble together on the Lord's Day in Jesus' name. Think of how the world and even the church was locked down over the past uh, couple of years Is it a few years now, you know, uh, back to when all of this began? And what were we told over and over again? What was the reason for the locking down of society and the isolation of individuals and families, keeping them from one another? What were we told? It's for the common good. It's for the sake of public health. And so you can see how perverse this was. Something true was distorted and used against us. Is it true that we should seek the common good? Yes, there is truth to that. Should we seek our neighbor's health and prosperity and well-being? Yes, all of that is true. It is required by the implications of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder, indeed. But these true things can be distorted and misused and abused so as to, in fact, oppress others and to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And I mention it in this sermon because I suspect that this is not the last time we will see this wonderful and sacred truth twisted and misapplied within the world. We must be concerned to guard against this abuse. Question 73 again of our catechism, what is required in the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Clearly this is true. Lord, give us the wisdom to keep this commandment as we live in this world, in our families, and as a church, all to the glory of the triune God. Amen? Amen. Let's bow for a brief word of prayer, and then we will go to corporate prayer. Our Father in heaven, do help us to apply your word. We thank you for the moral law, which is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. These laws are so direct and so clear, and yet, with the help of our catechism, we are seeing that we need, we need to apply them to the details of our lives, and we do need your help in this. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray, O God, that you would help us to do what your law requires and forbids. Uh, To the glory of your name, also for our good. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.